And it's that good God who has gathered us together tonight. And he gives us a greeting. He says to us, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people say, amen. And because God's given us that gift, we get to give it to each other. It's not a gift you hold, it's a gift you give away. So with a hug or a handshake or a high five, look someone else in the eye and say, God's peace to you. Go. All right, welcome. Glad you're here. We know there are many midterms and things that are happening this week, and you're here. So, God points. We all talked about that. Lots of God points. And how that's false. All right, I'm not, I'm joking. Okay, just so we're good. All right, good. Uh, Because we're having communion today, we'll give you an update. Yeah, woo, woo about communion. Yes. Um, An update on our giving for the year. Y'all have given. $8,678.98 to the Community Care Fund. So way to go, you. Good job, you. Yes, that is excellent. A couple of headlights, headlights, highlights or headlines. I was going for either way. Didn't happen that way. Uh, Tomorrow for chapel, uh, Kate Coyman and Andrew Alpong from the Office of Social Justice of the Christian Reformed Church, will be here talking about advocacy as spiritual practice. So how can we advocate for justice as a way to grow closer to God and closer to each other? So that's tomorrow. Uh, And then Friday chapel, we will have singer-songwriter Wendell Kimbrough here in the house. Um, Yes, all the musicians are like, Wendell! Um, For those of you who are like, okay, don't know who that is. He's the guy who wrote the song about the drunken sailor that we sing for time, right? <laughs> Cried like drunken sailors in the... Are you going to get it? Nod. Just humor me. Just nod. Okay, great. All right, so Wendell will be here on Friday. And because Friday, thanks be to God, is the last day of class before spring break... <laughs> woo! Woo! You guys are so close. You're so close. You can do it. Um, We will not have loft the next two Sundays. So March 17, March 24, we will not have loft. We'll resume it on March 31. So that's what's coming up. And now we have the opportunity to continue to give as God has given to us. So either with Venmo or with the baskets, please give to the Community Care Fund.
Would you pray with me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we praise you this evening through our singing and through our acting on faith, through praying. Lord, you know our hearts. You know the heaviness that we bring in with us. Help us to to bring that before you, before your altar this evening. Lord, in this season of Lent, we thank you for uh, an opportunity to, to do Lent in this community, to examine the ways that we wander, all the ways that we wander, all the ways that we turn from you. Lord, we, we pray that you help us shine a light on those ways that we wander and give us good community, surround us with people that care about us, that, that want to see us turn back to you. Because you, Lord, you search after us. You hunt us down with these people. You welcome us back home. You want us back with you. And for that, Lord, we thank you for this community that we, we can have these people that surround us. We thank you for residence halls and apartments and housemates and apartment mates and, and houses that are close to campus. Lord, we thank you specifically for the KE apartments and the community that is there. We pray uh, for all the leadership uh, in, in the apartments, and we pray uh, for every, every building and every apartment that your glory might be shown in those places, that through our actions and words you might be glorified. Lord, you are, you are the God of our, of our hearts, of our individual lives. You are the, the God of our world. Uh, Lord, you know everything that's happening in the world. Lord, we pray for those who are affected by the plane crash on the continent of Africa with Ethiopian Airlines. We pray for, for those who are mourning the loss and still trying to find answers. We pray for deep peace in that, in that place and in this situation. Lord, we, you know our hearts. You know the ways in which our hearts are sick with pride with jealousy, envy, with anger. Lord, you know our hearts. Help us to bring that before you. Fill us with your word this evening. Feed us by your word and your table. Sustain us. Lord, we, we pray for humility in this season. Show us the way back to you. We pray for Pastor Mary this evening as she brings your word. Fill her mouth with your words that we might turn back to you and love you. It's through Jesus we pray. Amen. So we're continuing our series on the seven deadly sins and thinking about how we can rest from our sin. 
And tonight we are talking about the sin of anger. Anger. So I want you to think about something that makes you angry. Okay, now somebody say something that makes you angry. What did you say? Everything? Did you say everything? Oh, honey, we're going to do a little intervention. (laughs) It's all right. It's all right. It's all right. You're almost to spring break. You can do it. We believe. We believe. All right, other than everything, uh, let's get a little more specific. Delayed planes. Patron. Financial holds. Yes. What was over here? I still didn't hear you. The Patriots football team. All of them. Robert Kraft in particular. Okay. Others over here. What? Midterm grades. <laughs> oh. Why must they evaluate us and our learning? Somebody over here. Time changes. Time changes. Yes. Yes, Pastor Dirk for the win. Yes, Pastor Dirk for the win. Yes, time changes. Yes. When we think about it, it doesn't take long for each one of us to come up with something that makes us angry. And if we actually sit here and think about it for a while, you know what happens? We actually start to feel angry. We actually begin to get angry. You see, psychologists and counselors used to say things like, if you're feeling angry, you should like punch a pillow or you should yell at something or you should vent. But actually, that is the absolute worst thing to do. Because anger within you is like a pile of really hot coals. And if you indulge it in any way, those flames just begin to spark higher and higher and higher. That's why anger is known as a deadly sin. Because if you feed it, it kills. It kills relationships, it kills your own soul, and it can literally kill. I was talking to somebody this week about um, people who are released from prison and and which uh, acts that got them in prison are they least likely to commit. So if somebody's done this, will they do it again? And the people least likely to commit the thing that got them into prison are murderers. Because for the vast majority of people who kill, they did so in a state of rage. They felt like they couldn't control themselves. Anger kills. And we can think it starts out as righteous indignation, right? We're like offended at something unjust. But that little spark of righteous indignation can quickly become fury. The Christian philosopher Dallas Willard says, there is a degree of malice in every degree of anger. There is a degree of malice in every degree of anger. And this is why the Apostle Paul tells the people in Ephesus, hey, when it comes to anger, hang on, control yourselves, because if you don't, You're giving the enemy a foothold. If you can't control your anger, you're giving the enemy a foothold. Now, if you've ever climbed the rock wall or know where it is and have watched people climb the rock wall, you know that if you get a foothold, it allows you to reach things that you couldn't access otherwise. And that's what our anger does for the enemy. It allows him access to other things. 
anger is deadly. So what do we do about it? How do we think about it? Well, tonight, we're going to learn a bit about it by looking at a story from the Old Testament, a story that I'm guessing many of you are familiar with. Page 719 in your pew Bibles, Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3, page 719. And you're going to want to get them out because we're going to read the whole chapter. Page 719 in the pew Bibles. Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made a golden statue whose height was 60 cubits and whose width was six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent for the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to assemble and come to the dedication of the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces assembled for the dedication of the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. When they were standing before the statue that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, and entire musical ensemble, you are to fall down and worship the golden statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. Well, therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, dragon, harp, drum, and entire musical ensemble, all the people's nations and languages fell down and worshipped the golden statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Accordingly, at this time, certain Chaldeans came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, and entire musical ensemble shall fall down and worship the golden statue. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's S-H-A-D. Want to see if you're playing along? Like they're really specific here. Think about how many people are gathered satraps, prefects, magistrates. Ju- they're like, we're going to give you the names. We're going to be specific Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. These pay no heed to you, O king. They do not serve your gods and they do not worship the golden statue that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought in. So they brought those men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods, and you do not worship the golden statue that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, and entire musical ensemble, to fall down and worship the statue that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, 
we have no need to present a defense to you in this matter. If our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire and out of your hand, O king, let him deliver us. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods and we will not worship the golden statue you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was so filled with rage against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face was distorted. He ordered the furnace heated up seven times more than was customary and ordered some of the strongest guards in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. So the men were bound, still wearing their tunics, their trousers, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. Because the king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so overheated, the raging flames killed the men who lifted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But the three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound, into the furnace of blazing fire. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up quickly. He said to his counselors, Was it not three men that we threw into the fire? They answered the king, True, O king. He replied, but I see four men unbound, walking in the middle of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the fourth has the appearance of a god. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. Come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their tunics were not harmed. And not even the smell of fire came from them. Nebuchadnezzar said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. They disobeyed the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that others blasphemy against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other god who is able to deliver in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. This is the word of the Lord. Now, why was Nebuchadnezzar so angry? Furious rage. His face becomes distorted. There's this little vein in his temple, and they start to see it. His face gets red. It gets all scowly. He does not look attractive. He gets so angry. Why? Because this is what you're supposed to do, is listen to me. I am the king. This is, what's the, this is how the world is supposed to work. I say something, you do the thing. That's how it's supposed to go. You got these three people here who aren't going to listen to me, aren't going to do what I say. You know what's going to happen? The whole thing's going to spread. No one's going to listen to me. Nebuchadnezzar was angry because this was a threat to his rule. This was a threat to his ego. This was a threat to his identity as king. He was the one in charge. What he says goes. 
He was so angry because this was a direct insult to him and to his rule. And that's why he got so angry. And that's why we get so angry. This week I was in line down at the Vandendal Arena uh, in line for tickets. And I got there a little bit early, so the line is forming behind me. And in the midst of the crowd, there's this couple that comes, and they slip in front of me. Yeah. (laughs) And before I could even think a clear thought, I said, hey, what are you doing? There's no cuts. You're cutting. Get in the back of the line. And the guy says, oh, the crowd pushed us in here. I was like, no, it didn't. Go to the back. Where's the back of the line? Back there where the employee is holding a sign that says back of the line. <laughs> so they, they wander off. And the guy standing in front of me turns around and goes. <laughs> what was astonishing to me as I've been thinking about anger this week <laughs> is how quickly that happened. Now, it started as a spark of righteous indignation. We have a social contract. We do not cut in lines. We learn this in kindergarten. Righteous indignation, but suddenly became like, oh, you want a piece of me? I mean, it became like, oh, go ahead, say something else. Right? I mean, it was like there was this little pile of coals in my soul, and it was like they just came and just poured gas on it. It's like, whoa. It just poured out. I didn't even have a moment to think. There's a degree of malice in every degree of anger. Now, maybe it wouldn't come out for you in a ticket line, but maybe your anger takes other forms. Maybe it's when you're driving. I see several nods. Maybe it's when you're driving and someone cuts you off and you just don't go, you, you like do the whole thing. Like you flash your lights, you honk your horn, you make certain finger gestures. <laughs> you let them know of your deep unhappiness at their current driving practice, right? There's this immediate rage. It could be while you're in practice and you're working over and somebody just totally messes up the fingering down the line. You look at them like, did you not practice this week? This isn't hard. Get the run. Like, get it. Too close? <laughs> there are these moments that just, that just spur up. Maybe it's when someone's teasing you and they make just a little playful comment and you come back at them with something that just cuts them deep. Or maybe your anger stays inside. Maybe you have a pact with the people with whom you live that certain chores shall be done on certain days. And maybe there's, hypothetically, maybe there's one person with whom you live who doesn't do the chore on her assigned day and you have been waiting since September. And with every month that goes by, there's another log that gets thrown on your fire of resentment. I can't believe she did it again. I can't believe she did it. The dishes are still there. I guess I'll have to do them. Martyr. (laughs) Maybe your anger takes forms like resentment and passive aggression, like, oh, no one's going to clean up? Oh, I guess I'll clean up because I always clean up. I'm always the one. (laughs) 
Maybe there's something that happened in your past. And it's bad. And it's painful. And you imagine what you would do if you saw that person. You play out little fantasies in your head about exactly what you would say. What you would do. And you tend that fire. You throw a log on it and you imagine this. You throw another log on it and you imagine that. You've got a grudge and you keep it going. Or maybe there's a person or a group of people that when you simply hear the words spoken, you have this contempt that rises within you. Pelosi. Trump. Hope College. That before you even know it, there's just, just this bias. You just read the article, and if the word, the name comes up, ha, huh. These are all ways in which anger infiltrates our lives. These are all ways in which we give footholds to the devil. Anger is fire, and we know how to keep it alive. We've seen the relationships that end. We've seen the pain it causes. We feel it in our own hearts. Anger. And so it's really important for us to pay attention to how God responds to Nebuchadnezzar's anger. Because what God could have said was, okay, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I want you now to bind up Nebuchadnezzar and throw him in the furnace. Because somebody's in charge here, and it's not him. He could have responded to Nebuchadnezzar's anger with anger. And that would have been righteous anger, straight up. But that's not what he does. There was a phrase that Carlos read in the psalm that's one of the most frequent descriptors of God that you can find in Scripture. It's this. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You hear that over and over and over and over again about God. And we see that in this story Instead of responding to anger with anger, he responds to anger with this miracle. Like, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, this is what happens to people who worship me. They are saved. They are rescued. They don't even smell like fire. And Nebuchadnezzar's response is amazing. He gets it right away. He says, this is the God who's in charge. This is the God who's got it going on. And he exchanges his anger for worship. He exchanges his anger for worship. He exchanges his anger for a move toward God and toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He exchanges his rage for reconciliation. And that's 
exactly what Jesus tells us to do. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says this, You've heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you're angry with a brother or sister, you'll be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you'll be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So, when you're offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come offer your gift. See, Jesus is saying there, like, I know you're going to have conflict. I know you're going to have tension. I know there's going to be anger. This is how you respond to anger. You first get reconciled to each other. You exchange your anger for reconciliation. You exchange your anger, and then you worship. This is what you do. So what does this actually look like for us? I mean, what does this actually mean? Well, maybe if you're someone who leans toward resentment and you've got these things built up in you, maybe it means you talk to the person and you say something like, hey, this is on me. I've been carrying something since October and it is so not fair, but it is here and it's on me and I've been bothered by it and I haven't brought it up to you because I've just been scared and honestly I kind of enjoyed the resentment, and I apologize. So here's the situation, and I'd really like us to work on this together. So can we move towards some kind of conversation around fill in the blank, the chores, the picking up? I know it's not such a big deal, but, oh, gosh, it has just silted up my soul, and I want to be right with you. What would it look like if instead of imagining what we would do to a person who has hurt us, what would it be like if we imagined a person who has hurt us deeply, we imagined them coming toward us, and we imagined smiling at them? That's it. You don't have to give them a hug. You don't even have to do this in real life. You just have to imagine it. Now, I know right there, for some of you, are like, mm, 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 too far. Imagining? Can't do it. And for some of us, that is really hard. We really can't imagine it. We have to think about, like, okay, maybe first I can imagine not yelling. And maybe first I can imagine not punching them. And then maybe I'll first, like, imagine a calm presence. And then slowly, in about six weeks... I can imagine smiling at them. That's okay. But you have to be moving toward that. You have to be moving toward putting the fire out rather than building the fire up. And if you're someone who happens to have a short fuse, who happens to get really upset with people really quickly, like when you're in line for tickets, then it may be a good thing to slow yourself down. How many of you had fire safety drills that involved stop, drop, and roll? Is this familiar? Okay, all right. So what if in the moment you're like, this is a fire moment for my soul. i got to stop, drop, and roll. I have to stop. I have to drop to my knees and roll out a different behavior. 
My other option for this was this. Stop and drop the role that says that I'm the king, the queen, the one in charge. Stop, drop the role. No extra charge for that. <laughs> but there has to be this slowing down, this pause. As I learned from Blackish, you could also say, step back, don't attack. That works too. Because anger is so fast, it is so quick. And we have to relearn how to slow it down because we have been practicing, most of us, for most of our lives, how to heat it up, how to make it bigger, how to have it on the ready so we can just take off our flame floor at a moment's notice and go. Like, that's how we've been living. And today, Jesus invites us. He says, there's a different way to live. Rather than heating the fire up, you can cool that fire down. You can do things differently. And for those of us who have something that's big, that's heavy, that's really hard, we need to remember that our God is not just a God who is slow to anger and not just a God who is full of loving kindness, but he's also a God of justice. Our God is a God of justice. And if you have things that have wounded you, that have made you righteously, justifiably angry, we can trust that the God of justice is working on our behalf. A few years ago, we did a series on the book of Revelation. And one of the big themes in the book of Revelation is justice. Evil gets its due in the end. Evil people get treated the way they need to be treated in the end. God is a God of justice, and that justice will roll down. Can we trust that even if we don't see it, and even if we don't feel it, that our God is working out justice on our behalf? Can we trust that if we let go of our anger... God will fight for us. I'm going to do a prayer exercise. I invite you to hold out your hands. You can just lay them in your lap or hold them in a place that's comfortable. I invite you to imagine that you're holding the thing that makes you angry. So close your eyes. Take in a breath. Blow it out. Imagine what makes you angry. You're holding it in your hands. Now I invite you to lift your hands. And we pray, Lord, you know what's in everyone's hands. You know if it's a mild annoyance or an old wound. And you know the energy it has taken for us to keep this anger. And so today, God, we ask that you take it. Because we're tired of our sin and we're tired of our anger 
You know, we're tired, like pretending that we are the ones in charge. And we pray for the courage to trust you. We pray for the courage to speak if we need to speak. We pray for the courage to be silent when we need to be silent. We pray for the courage to be like you, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Now I invite you to lift your hands like you're releasing a bird. And so God, we release these things. We release them to you, trusting that you, the God of love, the God of righteousness, the God of justice, will tend to these things on our behalf and we can be still. We can cool down the fire. Holy Spirit, help us. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now that may be something you need to do like every day during Lent. Sometimes it's hard in a group setting when you're thinking about the thing that really makes you angry to go through those steps. You may need to sit there for a long time. That's okay. It may take you from now till Easter. It could take you from now till Christmas. That's okay. The point is we keep moving toward this. We keep moving toward the release. We keep moving toward trusting God. We keep moving from death and toward life. And we do this because this is what God has done for us. We gather around a table tonight because our God is a God who's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he forgives And Jesus gave his life for us. And so when you come to the table tonight, it's another opportunity to come forward and to say, as I take this bread and I take this cup, I take in the strength from the Holy Spirit to lay down my anger, to take one more step toward cooling the flame, one more step toward trusting God even more than I do right now. That's the gift we get tonight. Because on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after he thanked God, he broke it. And he said, this bread is my body given for you. Do this to remember me. And then after supper, he took the cup. And after he blessed God, he poured it and said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it to remember me. So as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. We praise you, God, our creator. For you formed us in your image. You wired us for relationship. You call us to community. We thank you, Jesus Christ, that you are the one who redeems us. That when we fan our anger into flame, when we cut off community, when we turn away from you, 
you do not turn away from us. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the one who comes after us. You are the one who longs to bring us home. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are the one who whispers to us, that you are the one who reminds us that a gentle answer turns away wrath. You are the one who reminds us that we can trust God with everything. And so, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray that as we gather around this table, you will remind us once again of grace and forgiveness and fresh starts. We pray through Jesus Christ. Amen. The church around the world celebrated communion today. And for many of them, they said a creed. And so when we say this creed, we're saying it with Christians around the world. Let's say together, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. And the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Tonight we'll be taking communion by the method of intinction, in which you rip a piece off the loaf and you dip it in the cup. And because this is a feast, don't take like a little pinch, like take, take a piece. And uh, these folks will come up this way and then go out that way, and you folks will come up this way and go out that way. And if you need gluten-free, just tell your servers. We have two stations, one on each side of gluten-free bread. And because uh, Loft and Calvin College are not a church, we're very delighted to have uh, the pastor and elders from Encounter Church here to supervise and support us in our communion. If you are a communicant member in your home church, you're welcome to take communion here. If you're not quite sure yet, if you're ready, if you're in an interesting spot, you just don't know, you're also welcome to come forward and just make a cross over your chest and you'll receive a blessing from the servers. Jesus says to us today, come, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. These are the gifts of God for the people of God.
have coffee? No coffee. I know, we're working on it. There's the part that's broken on the coffee pot. For those of you familiar, we're working on it. But we do have hot tea, we do have hot chocolate, we do have lots of cookies. So those are all available downstairs. Our prayer servants are going to their spaces right now. If you, there's something on your heart you need prayer for, if you've got a big exam this week, if you have a group project and you're angry at all the group project members, whatever it is, I feel you. We've all been there. We've all been there. Just whatever you need prayer for, just go and uh, get some prayer. And then if you need a hug, they will be over here at this door. Receive the blessing from the God who loves you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.